Hello friends, Andrea Lynn here, and I have been a little bit slow to get content out the past week because, well, summer, but I am back on the editing train and I have lots of episodes to get out and the following one was with a friend of mine from Twitter. His name is Obeid Omar and we talk about we talk about story and narrative and meaning and we start off by looking through his own life a bit. He's an ex-Muslim. Um, I ask him about his journey uh, moving away from Islam and why and we get move from there into the more general uh, idea of needing a narrative, needing a, a meta-narrative versus a local narrative in today's society. Anyway, it's really cool stuff. I am really interested in hearing your feedback, of course, and I'm always actually interested in your feedback. So please uh, leave a comment or write me on Twitter or send me an email. So yeah, and oh, and subscribe if you haven't subscribed, if you want to see more of my videos. Hello, Obeyed. Hey, Andrea, how's it going? Good, thank you for chatting with me. Oh, no problem, thanks for having me on. So, okay, we, I wanna, we've talked a little bit back and forth on Twitter about some things and what what I'd like to focus with you today is just talking about the importance of like narrative and I guess meta narratives and stories and the stories we have in our cultures, um, or I guess lack thereof for here in North America. But I do want to start with you personally. With you, you were Muslim, but you left the, that faith, and and I so you you left a narrative. In, in essence, you know, so I'd want to hear, I want to hear about how you, how and why you left first. Okay. I mean, so I grew up in a Sunni family. My fa my family was not very strict. Uh, both my parents were devout, uh, but you know, there was not, it was not like, what would you consider a fundamentalist household? Okay. Like I didn't, I didn't pray five times a day. Where did you, know, you I would fast. I grew up in Canada. I grew up in Montreal. I was born in India. My family moved to Montreal when I was six. So I spent majority of my life in Montreal and they, you know, like I said, they, and also when we got here, there was, there was a burgeoning South Asian community. There weren't, there wasn't a very large Muslim community. There was only one mosque. Mm -hmm. um, there might've been two because, you know, Sunni Shia thing. Um, but yeah, so there was, there wasn't a lot of religion around per se. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it was, I was always really, really inquisitive. I, I mean, I would ask questions about everything. Um, it, it just, uh, you know, I never took anything for face value. And around the age of 11, the original Cosmos with Carl Sagan came on. So then I watched that. Um, my dad also loved science shows and documentaries and stuff. So we sat around, we watched that. And Sagan talked about, he, I mean, he didn't give you scientific facts, really. He talked about the methodology of science, um, thinking of science as a way to get things done, like how, how you, you know, having a curiosity, uh, checking things out, always being skeptical, not taking things at face value. And 
you know, that really struck a chord with me. Mm-hmm. And then that year I was going into grade six, I think. So we started, you know, getting a little bit of science class and stuff like that. Just very, very general stuff. And they talked about the sun burning up in five billion years. And I came home, asked my parents about it and said, well, you know, you guys talk about the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's in the Quran. That's what we're supposed to believe. But then science class, they tell me this is going to happen in five billion years, mm. you know, which is true. And then they tried to reconcile it and saying that, oh, they're both the same thing. But then the description they give me of J judgment of like fire and ice and all this destruction. And, okay. And I'm, okay, I mean, like it doesn't match with what the science class said. So it can't be the same thing. And then just, and then from going on, like from there, like, you know, just learning little things and going back and, ask my parents stories and that okay that's one thing I, I should stress here i was born in india my parents were both born in india my mom grew up in pakistan neither of them could speak arabic you okay. know uh, my grandfather my my grandfather from my dad's side could speak read and write it um both my grandmothers understood a little bit but not very much so you know i'm getting this it's like playing you know telephone in kindergarten right you're, you're, you know, someone tells you a story and then you pass along, you pass along, you pass mm-hmm, along. That's mm-hmm. how, that's how Islam was in South Asia for the most part. And even now, most people don't speak Arabic. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I keep going back and saying, okay, I asked my parents about the stories because even though I'd read the Quran, didn't know a word of what it said. Right? So, Except for so what, to be clear, so the Quran has to be always in Arabic and written in Arabic and is not translated. Okay. For the Quran be... is only the, yeah, you have to read it in Arabic for it to count yes so to say that you finished the Quran, you have to do it in arabic um and you know a translation is only a close approximation um you know, it's just a lot of bs um yeah but. and but but that that's yeah that's basically what it is so all the prayers are said in arabic everything's said you know when you read the Quran, it's in arabic everything's in arabic so you're just repeating these things no one really knows what they're saying mm. um so anyways, getting back to that. So yeah, I mean, like I said, I would come back and I'd ask some questions about evolution. I'd ask some questions about certain things and none of it matched up. And mm-hmm. I'd taken that thing from Sagan to heart of questioning stuff and looking for evidence and taking where the evidence leads you. And the evidence led me, like I said, I started questioning around six, uh, 11. By the time I was 16, nah, couldn't believe it anymore. It mm-hmm. just, there was, you know, there was no more uh, real mystery to it. And that's another thing, like growing up, like you'd mentioned narrative. I, you know, we, my family was religious. They taught us about the religion. They taught us the Quran. But as far as narrative or culture or anything, my dad was really proud of his Indian heritage. Now, he has um, Middle Eastern blood. Um, his family's from Yemen. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, he was also proud of being an Arab, but he was really proud of his Indian heritage. So, okay. you know, he would tell us about Indian history. He would tell us stories from there. I mean, my dad was always curious as well. And, you know, he had friends in India that were, you know, Hindu, Muslim, Sikh, uh, some Christians because there were some there. And, and I mean, growing up there, he learned a lot about even the Hindu mythology and stuff. So he would tell us these stories because there were, especially the Hindu mythology. I mean, it's, you know, gods fighting each other and, you know, stuff like that. And I liked fantasy and it was, it was cool. So you mm. listen to it. And so, I mean, that's so for me leaving islam wasn't like i was leaving my family or leaving my culture or leaving um you know your a closed community because in the south asian community again you had people that were you know hindus and muslims and 
uh, you know, some Sikhs in. So it was a mix anyways until, you know, I guess the late eighties or so when it, even the, the those communities kind of s- splintered off a little bit, but oh, okay. they were still, you know, very mixed. Um, and so, yeah, it wasn't like that. I mean, I know now, and again, starting about the late 80s, and again, because of that, there was more mosques there. So you had a more of an insular Muslim community, and walking away from it was harder. When I did it, my dad specifically moved us to a neighborhood that was not starting to become ghettoized. Mm. I mean, he he said straight out that I didn't leave India to come to Canada to move into a little India. Mm. Uh, he said, I wanted my kids to, you know, I want my family to integrate. I want my family to be part of this community. So... I didn't have a Muslim community around me. I didn't have that. I mean, so for me, leaving was not traumatic. Like I wasn't leaving like that kind of narrative. I was, you know, I just stopped. I just couldn't believe it anymore. It didn't make any more sense. Mm. Um, at one point in my mid twenties, uh, I'll say about 25, I'm not a hundred percent sure of the date. Uh, my grandmother was going to Hajj and I asked her to bring me back a translation mm-hmm. in English. And so that was the first time I read the Quran in English. And I did it for the same reason that I'd left it, because I said, okay, if I want to say I'm following the evidence, I've never read it in a language I understand. I've only taken other people's word for it. So let me can, at least can read you it. Can you say what the Hajj is? Okay, the Hajj is, uh, it's one of the five pillars. You have to, you're supposed to go on Hajj if you're able. Um, once in your life, it's a pilgrimage to to Mecca. You go to the Kaaba. Um, you pray. And what remind me what the Kaaba is? Is it something to do with Abraham or Muhammad? Okay, Which a- one? Abraham supposedly built it. It's the house of God on earth. There's a little black stone that everyone yeah. kisses. Uh, okay, and it used to house pagan idols. But then it Muhammad was... went in there. Yeah, okay. Muhammad went in there and smashed all the idols. You know, uh, aka you know, Allah Jesus going into the temples and smashing the idols and turning okay. over the money lenders' tables and stuff like that. Right. Okay. It, same kind. Of, your mama did the same kind of thing. That's and the version. It's, okay. It's yeah. It's it's the holy site. It's the holiest site in Islam, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know that's where you, everyone does the pilgrimage. So that's the Hajj, okay. and you and that's only in a specific time of the year. If you go in another part of the year, you can go on what's called an Umrah, which is another pilgrimage, but it's not in that specific time. Okay. But yeah, so my grandma was going. She got me the Quran, and I read it, and you know I was even more appalled after I read it. Right. Because you're like um. It's, it's, yeah. I didn't know and, this. And, and, okay, so, and also back then, the internet wasn't really a thing, right? So right. this was, um, so what, I, I was about 25, so I was like 93-ish, something like that. Mm. So the, like I said, the internet wasn't really a thing. You couldn't go on Google. You couldn't, you didn't have all these resources that people do now. So, you know, trying to find a Hadith. Like it was next to impossible, right? Trying to, you know, trying to find these kind of things. Oh, the hadith. I only started written down anywhere. I know that they're the spoken words of the prophet. No, no, no. Down. The, 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 the hadith are written down. Oh, and you can in get Arabic, copy. though. Oh, right. No, but, he, but yeah, yeah, but like, and also back then, though, even if I wanted to copy in Arabic, right? If I could read it, it'd be really hard to find. Oh. Like, there wasn't Amazon, there was no, you know, there was no Google, there was none of this stuff. Okay. So um, now you have all that accessible to you, right? So, I mean, right. I, I read, like I said, I listened to what my parents had said, read the Quran, uh, made up my own mind. And like, if the book was supposed to be perfect, which it says, it's the perfect, it's it's the unalterable, you know, unchangeable word of God. And if it's got that kind those kind of flaws, mm. I mean, you know, 
just certain ones that are just so blatant, like the, the, the sperm is formed between the ribs and the backbone. Okay, that's oh, I not didn't know true. that one. Like, yeah, that so, is factually incorrect, Muhammad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if, if it's the word of God, there shouldn't be errors like that in it. And so it just, I mean, these inconsistencies to me, I just said, no, that it, the evidence doesn't point to it. Mm. And I don't see any evidence of a supernatural being. Um, you know, I don't see any reason to believe in one. If there was some evidence, I mean, you know, you'd ask me, like, you know, what what would make me believe? Yeah, whatever, you know, uh, whatever. If I if I hear the the voice of God there, if I hear the Metatron, or you know, if, if Gabriel happens to come down, or you know, yeah. whatever, uh, you has know, a chat. Yeah, I believe. I mean, yeah. like, you know, but I mean, okay, but even then, like, okay, is this a supernatural being, or is this someone like with hot advanced technology that I have no clue about? Right mm. like, at this point, I could say that, but like. It's, you know, I followed the evidence and from what I saw, it just didn't make sense. Right. And I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't keep doing it. Um, How did your parents feel though when you told them? Okay. Uh, all right. So I was 16 when I stopped believing. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't tell my parents because I was in high school. I wasn't sure how they, they're, you know, what, how they were going to deal with it. Because that was one thing, like I said, my parents were devout. They weren't fundamentalist or anything, but, you know, leaving the religion was always a bad thing. I, we, I had a... Uh, I had some friends and my parents became friends with, um, you know, his dad, like, uh, their dad and the, the, their mom and dad, and they were atheists. Mm. And now these people came over all the time. They, you know, I used to go hunting with my dad when I was younger. They like, they would come too, and, um, and you know, our family just got along really well, but my parents would sometimes say it. And it was, there was a tint of disdain in their voice. They'd say, Oh, oh, they're atheists. And it was just, you know, so like that idea was kind of in my head and I knew they were not going to like the fact that I didn't believe. So I didn't know what they were going to do. I wasn't sure. So I, I kind of lived a double life for until about 22. Mm. And by that point, I, I slowly stopped uh, even putting up a pretense. So when we got together for family gatherings, I wouldn't pray. Mm. Um, I stopped fasting during Ramadan. So when I told them they knew something was up, um, I mean, there were, they, you know, it took a few days of yelling and screaming and, back and forth and finally they accepted it i mean their biggest worry and that's one of the things why a lot of people um stay hidden and like i said it's the community thing well that was one of the things my parents said it's like okay fine but just don't tell anyone okay they were afraid of what the community was going to think of them mm. like you are not good parents you didn't do a good job you didn't raise your kids enough your kids are bringing dishonor to you know you your family and the community mm -hmm. and then That'll also affect things like, um, okay, so my sister still believes she was still practicing. Uh, oh, well, she might not get a, you know, because it wasn't really arranged, it was kind of matchmaking, but oh, she won't get a good offer for uh, for a match because, you know, your son left Islam, so you're not a good family. Mm. Um, so it has things like that. It's just, So there's all kinds of things pushed into it. And... You know, I told him straight out. I said, you know, I'm not, I won't announce it. And it wasn't like there was Facebook or Twitter or whatever for me to, you know, do a big post or whatever. But, but I said, if anyone asks, I'm not going to lie. Okay. And I was simple as that. So, but they were, they were more worried about the sort of social consequences and they weren't upset, like at you. Well, they were upset at me, you know, from the start, at the start. Okay. But when it came down to it, at the very end, it was, and that was, okay, I've always had a smart mouth and I, 
always being lippy and that was my reaction to them when they said that i was like you know you're more concerned about what other people think than my immortal soul there apparently oh, and yeah, and yeah they, 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 they didn't like that but whatever but i mean yeah the they didn't like it to, what <laughs> no but that's what it comes down to right it's what will the neighbors think you know and it's, that's really it, i think that it's easy to judge that but it is so that's so human and natural to worry about what the neighbors because we're a social yeah. group. We're social beings. We need the group to accept us. Okay, but, um, I mean, unless you're in a really, really closed community, like, let's say, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, yeah. or, you know, uh, like, small evangelical communities, or, you know, Hasidic Jews, or something like that, the Muslim community, for the most part, especially nowadays, it is very closed. It is, I mean, it, okay, they're, it's not closed in this, unless they're very, very fundamentalist and the women they're wearing the niqab or, you know, even some yeah. people wear the hijab and they're, they just only hang out with Muslims. But there is still that even if they go to work, whatever, they, they're part of the community. Um, they, they, there is that social cohesion within the group. So if one, if something happens and, you know, like, let's just say I stopped leaving Islam, you know, I was a regular attendee at the mosque, this and that, it gets talked about the mosque, everyone knows about it, you know, oh, this person, that family left. And there is a social stigma mm -hmm. put on the family from that group. Whereas if you were just an average Christian or Jew or Hindu, um, even like you know, to some extent, some Muslim families, because you know, there's, there's varying degrees, mm -hmm. um, it, it's just there's more of the close ties in the Muslim community. And I think the other ones, because of the immigration, you know, only a couple of generations type of thing, right? Okay. So when you, when you leave, you know, if you're in a family that's religious but not overly devout, not you know, you know, you're not in a very very close knit community, it could be traumatizing for a family member to you know you're losing someone in the group, but you might not lose your whole community. You might, you know, the family might get comfort from the church and the other members instead of them also being ostracized. Whereas in these closed knit groups, the family themselves are ostracized, so like there is no comfort coming from the church. Right. Whereas, you know, like I said, if it was a moderate family and, you know, they're going to a moderate mosque or a moderate church or whatever, and they go speak to, uh, you know, the priest, the imam, the rabbi, whatever, they might get some consolation, like, oh, no, you know, like, to help them deal with the fact that they've lost some part of their child, right? Did, did uh, your parents, was it more like that then in the end? Uh, okay, but they never, you know, we got along fine. And, and again, there wasn't a lot of... There were a few mosques. My dad wasn't really going to them. He didn't, he wouldn't have gone to the imam. I mean, but we didn't, you know, there was no real ostracization for my family. My family's, you know, you know, fairly liberal. There's been some distant relations, some people I'd never met before. Then, you know, in the later part of the 90s, I got an email from them saying, I'm never going to talk to you again. And it's like, because they just found out. And I'm like, okay, I've never spoken to you before. So, yeah, I don't okay. think it's going to matter yeah, you know, my life. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I, but aside from that, uh, so there was no real cutting off. Um, and I mean, like, again, because my dad had, you know, his friends were also for the most part very open. And like I said, it was a mixture of all religions and everything. Um, my dad was really into classical Indian music. So him and his friends uh, started a little organization where they would have um, Indian musicians come to Montreal uh, mm. uh, and they put on small concerts and stuff like that. So, I mean, there was other things keeping them together aside from just the religion. So it didn't okay. matter that much. 
but obviously, like I said, they still didn't want that to be public knowledge at, at this point right. now, you know, everyone knows and there's no, like I said, I don't get any kind of, you know, blowback or anything. And I never really did. Well, it, so that it kind of, that kind of segues into you're saying about the religion isn't necessarily the thing that is keeping the community together. Is it being like that South Asian community? Is, is, is it being from the okay. same area? Well, okay. The, and again, that's my dad's group of friends. Right. And, or, or my, or like, I guess my, my mom's now is my, you know, my parents' group of friends and they got together and, you know, some of these are people my parents have known since we moved here. Some of them, they, they met later on through the music. Uh, but yeah, these are just people who got together because they were from India. I mean, there was, there's, there's some of them, they, they love the music, but they were, you know, second generation or third generation from Africa. So they're, you know, the Ismaili community. Um, and uh, I mean, uh, there are other Indian communities in Africa. And so they, you know, they were, they were from there. Um, but the, you know, they, so that by the time when I told my parents there, you know, it wasn't just family and close friends. Like when we first moved to Canada, right. They, they'd expanded and there are other South Asian communities that are you know, little neighborhoods and like, uh, you know, Pakistani community that's centered around the mosque and it's only that community and everyone knows each other and they, that's kind of all their only dealings. Mm-hmm. And in a place like that, it would be worse. But because my parents had, you know, their little group wasn't that focused on just religion. It was a bunch of different people from different backgrounds. Right. So, it you know, within the family, yes, there was obviously some tension. And, you know, and it wasn't just me, like other other my cousins of roughly the same age, you know, they they did the same thing. Within okay. a few, we were all we were all within a few years each, of each other, and so it was all of us that grew up, you know, in North America, and all from a certain time. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean that okay that I should clarify that a little bit. Uh, so uh, my family moved in the mid seventies, mm-hmm. up until the mid eighties. There weren't a lot of mosques in Montreal and other cities roughly around like the Kissing I think Toronto might have been a little bit earlier. There was not a lot. There were not a lot of mosques. There were not a lot of um, things like that coming in. And mosques themselves being built aren't bad. What was the problem was in 79 when the Ayatollahs took over Iran. Mm -hmm. Then in 80 when they totally solidified power, that's when they started pushing out Shia extremism. So they started going a little international. Right. Now, there's always a conflict between Shia and Sunni. Iran is the seat of Shia power. And obviously, Saudi is, you know, Mecca's there. They call themselves the protectors of the two mosques. Mm-hmm. Um, so Saudi started pumping in. It just as a counter effect to that, started pumping out Sunni propaganda. Mm. Now, then, you know, Iran-Iraq war, sanctions on Iran. But then Saudi found a way to spread, you know, the version of Islam that was going on there, the Wahhabism. And... They spent money and there was mosques being built in South Asia. There was mosques being built in Canada, the United States, and Europe. And these mosques, you know, they would they would get funding from Saudi and they would get imams that were slightly more radical. And it just oh. I mean it wasn't like it wasn't like that, right? It was okay. So this guy comes in, he's a little bit more fundamentalist than the person before him. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a couple of years later, someone else comes in and he's a little bit more fundamentalist. And mm-hmm. so it, it was just – and as things were getting more fundamentalist in those countries and more immigration started – and this is not a knock on immigration or anything. It's just – there was just a bunch of stuff that happened. So you'd have – so then more and more fundamentalist mosques were coming in. 
Um, and more and more fundamentalist imams were teaching those mosques. And it slowly built up to a point where you do have a lot of fundamentalist mosques there now. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Uh, you do have a lot of, I mean, and or you even if mosques that are very open, you can still find some literature uh, that people leave. Like they'll come in, it'll look innocent on the front, but then when you start reading inside, um, you know, it's uh, Hizbut Tahrir. Uh, you can find some of their stuff in some of the mosques uh, around Montreal and Toronto. I don't know about other cities. Um, but Hizbut Tahrir is a, they were the group that Majid Nawaz was a part of when he was a radical. Mm -hmm. Right. So, okay. so you can find their, um, their literature, uh, and it's, it's this kind of stuff. So it was, it was a generational thing. Also, like I said, um, I can talk more for Saudi, uh, for, um, South Asia than I can for the Middle East. Mm -hmm. When my parents were growing up, when they moved here, my dad grew up in India. He went to school in India. My mom grew up in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was a British backed education system up until 72 Pakistan was the same thing. Then in 72, they, they said they were going to make a, uh, <coughs> excuse me, they were going to make a, an Islamic style education system. So when that changed in Pakistan, the, so if you had an immigrant coming over to North America, now to come over to North America, you'd have to have more money mm -hmm. than to go to Europe, um, especially if you're coming from the Middle East or South uh, North Africa. But even from Pakistan and India and stuff like that, it was harder to get to North America than it was to Europe. Mm. Um, so most of the people who came to North America were educated. So if they came here, like my dad, he had a university education. He came here, he'd read, you know, he read Shakespeare, he read Dickens, he read a lot of this stuff. So when he came to Canada, which was also a Commonwealth country, he had certain things he could relate with. Mm. The immigrants who came afterwards, they didn't have a little bit of that, rela re you know, relatability. And mm. also when my parents came in, there were courses offered by the government that said, okay, this is what it means to be a Canadian. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you know, new immigrants come in, help you settle. You know, we respect everyone's religion. You have the right to practice your religion, but you can't force it on people. Like, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Yeah. It wasn't going It wasn't going into, you can't jaywalk. And it wasn't like the specific laws, right? Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, what are Canadian values, what we expect from our citizens, that kind of stuff. And those kind of things slowly stopped or get, you know, were funded less. Now they give out a guidebook. Um, I don't know the whole process of immigration. Um, you know, I was 10 when I became a citizen, so I just walked in, you know, made my oath and walked out. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't have to go through a course or anything. Uh, but, I mean, I learned it in school, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they got all this stuff. And so there was a multiple different things that happened, and it all took place. So that then you started getting the ghettoization. That's when you started getting more and more of these communities. That's when you will start seeing um, – Okay, the niqab, uh, the hijab everywhere. Right. Let's let's take the niqab out of the question for a second. Um, and Obama did it in uh, he said it in an article uh, in the Atlantic, but 2015 or 2016 it was one of the most honest things. It was one of the most honest articles or interviews he's done about Islam. Um, and he said it's you know he said well you can look at places like Indonesia and the Philippines, where you can see more fundamentalists come in and you can you know you can kind of denote that by more the number of hijabs people are wearing. Mm. Now, if 
I mean, that's, that's being, you know, it's being told to kids. It's being told, they're, they're told from a little age that if you're not a good girl, you know, you're not a good girl if you don't wear the hijab. Mm. So they might say I'm doing it on my own, but they've been told since a very, very young age that if they don't wear it, they're not good. Mm. So when their parents come up and say, oh, would you like to wear the hijab? They say, yes, I want to be a good girl, right? Mm. So even if it's not forced, so when there's more of a fundamentalist type teaching, you know, being done in the mosques and in the homes and the people who are coming in, they're also immigrating from a fundamentalist back, you know, I shouldn't say fundamentalist background, but the, the, the Islam that's being taught in South Asia right now is a more fundamentalist Wahhabist version mm. than when my parents were alive. Okay. And, and I'm using a very broad brush here. Um, the only reason I say that is I'm an ex-Muslim, right? Mm. Now, that tells you very little. It just says I left Islam. Um, you know, my family was Sunni. Mm. And then again, in Sunni Islam, there are four schools of thought. Uh, there's, you know, Hanafi, Shafi. Um, I'm trying to think of the other one. I, I, I can't remember the four, but and there are different varying variations of um, of how strict and literal there are. Mm. Uh, I've used the term Wahhabism. Wahhabism is think of it as the Reformation for Islam. Mm. So when Martin Luther did the Reformation, he you know nailed his uh, 95 theses uh, onto yeah yeah yeah, yeah the, the door. door and basically. But I mean, his basic thing was we don't need the church. We don't need all these big bodies. We have the books. We have the life of Christ. And that's what we need. We don't mm. need anything else. Right? Mm. And that's what Wahhab was doing, which was, I mean, Salafism and Wahhabism are kind of the same thing. Um, it is stick to the core of the religion. You don't want any innovation in the religion. Oh, um, there's a so term. it stopped innovation. Huh. Yeah, there, there's a term in, um, no, no, it's, it's not all innovation. Like Wahhabists took it to an extreme, but it's 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 innovation in the faith. So you don't want to re reinterpret the faith too loosely to get away from the message of Muhammad and you know, so it's the it's the message of the Quran, the life of Muhammad, you know, a, to a smaller degree to his companions. But that's what so it is. You follow the Quran, you follow the Hadith, and you follow the Sunnah. The Sunnah is the life of Muhammad. The Hadith are the sayings and the doings of the Prophet. And so those three things are all you need. So that's what Wahhabism was. And but they took it to some extent, like when they wanted to bring in. Uh, firearms into Saudi Arabia, the Wahhabists were fighting against it because that's an innovation. They didn't want cars to be brought in, so oh. they were they were they were anti everything. They were anti all innovation because they 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 the way okay. The, my understanding of this is the way they looked at it was any innovation that you bring in will then eventually lead to an innovation in the faith, and we don't want that. Oh. Right. So the so it's the faith stays the same. So I, I, I'm just trying to say this because like it's really changed since you left. They have a more of a fundamentalist background in Islam. So the version of Islam they learned was more fundamentalist than the version of Islam my parents learned. Right? Okay. Um, so when they're coming in, you're going to have, but then you're always going to have some certain segment of that, right? That is more like, you know, will latch onto that fundamentalist understanding and therein lies the issues. And then when you've taken away all these other things where there were like, you know, where, where before it was neighborhoods growing together yes you know in montreal you had different ethnic neighborhoods you go there to get italian food you go you know italian delis there's a the german delis there's you know but you still the communities all kind of live together but then when you had the multicultural thing in the 80s and 90s where you kind of split off communities mm. that with like i said the government not giving instruction and stuff uh, you're not demanding enough of your citizens all these little things that's when you get these little pockets and that's where you get people who are insular when you get that insularity that's when this extremism can take hold and spread faster and now 
it's not that like oh stop immigration because there are these people all raving lunatics they're not it's just that was being funded into south asia and a person who grew up muslim in south asia and a person who grew up muslim in the middle east the core beliefs will be very similar but there'll be lots of differences um someone from the middle east will obviously because of the language that that helps a lot but they'll know a little bit more about you know the four different schools of thought this kind of thing if they're sunni they'll know in in the shias they'll know more of those traditions mm. whereas in south asia because of the language barrier it's a lot of word to mouth you know like, you know like it's just matter of uh, word of mouth and it's just people telling one another so it's not quite as cohesive like I, a lot of this stuff i didn't learn until after i said okay i can't believe anything that's in this book anymore right, right? and then um and a lot of it was after the internet and i had google at my hand at disposal mm-hmm. so can we move over to like look at like how to find community outside of a faith how to find community that's kind of what i'm thinking of like that's one of the things I have seen for critiquing the atheist community or agnostic community or whatever you call non-believer community, whatever, is that there's not really a meeting time or a, a time where they really, I guess, make a community of shared beliefs, right? Okay. So, so what? That's what I'm. That's kind of what I wanted. One of the things I was interested in speaking with you about about the, the lack of narrative. Before I get to that, like uh, this is just my take, and I'm just taking a bunch of different things that I've read and heard, and yeah. kind of my little hypothesis of what happened. Right? Okay. Um, so we're in the trees. We come down to the savanna. Savannah. We're in little tribes. Don't kill members of your tribe because if you do, your tribe's gonna get weaker. Mm-hmm. Your tribe will die out. Mm-hmm. Don't steal food from members of your tribe because your tribe's gonna get weaker. You're gonna die out. You know, these were just little things that you pick up and then instinctually they we go along. Then these, you know, we start getting language. These little groups get a little bit more cohesive, a little bit more organized. You sit around the fire, you tell stories, you paint on the wall, you tell stories, you tell each other stories. But these stories now start having some meaning of why not to steal, why not to kill. Mm. And then, you know, these groups again get more cohesive. You start having villages. And somewhere in that time, like these stories take on religious connotations they, mm. they, they it's a form of worship okay now we're explaining why the thunder comes why the lightning comes now we're explaining why you know there's no game here there you know all the the rivers have dried up like mm-hmm, all these kind mm-hmm, of things right mm-hmm. and the larger the groups got the more uh the more centralized they got the more governance they needed mm-hmm. like it, it's my feeling that these stories then became very you know they started getting more and more codified Mm. the more codified they became you know you started getting a priestly class you started getting religion and they became the holders of the stories mm-hmm. uh, i mean if you look like you know go back to the plays in ancient greece right they, they were all kind of religious they were all respectful for the gods mm. i mean if the plays were blasphemous the priests would freak out you know right. you, and, and it depended on greece when and what time you know you know like aristotle got in trouble for blasphemy i mean like you, you can so you had that um, and then like, it was just getting back to like that little video and then in that video I was, I was saying there was, if you take the Abrahamic myth, uh, the Abrahamic religions, sorry, I could say myth, um, mm. I'll still say myths, but yeah, you take those, you take the account of Genesis. God did not 
keep science. God did not keep, you know, the science of it all. He wanted to be worshipped because he did everything. He's like, hey, look, Adam, I made all this, right? You know, I, I made you Eve. I did all this for you. Look at all this food. Look at all mm-hmm. this. It's all me. Right. So there was no reason for science. It was, you know, it was the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. Right? So the knowledge of good and evil. So that's what's told to you in the stories. That's what's told to you in the plays. That's what's told to you in the narrative that weaves through your society. So in those small groups, you have that narrative. And then you start expanding out. So then you, you know, if you've got religion, you go to church every Sunday, you go to mosque every Friday, you go to, you know, temple uh, on Shabbat, you, you know, you, you do all these things. And these stories are told to you over and over and over again. And I mean, I equated it to like people seeing Anthony Robbins, right? You go see Anthony Robbins, you're all pumped up. And a month later, you're kind of deflated. You go watch another one of his videos or go see him talk again. And you're all hyped up again, right? Who's Anthony Relig- Robbins? He was a, a motivational speaker from the 80s. I'll do a YouTube search for Anthony oh, Robbins. Okay. You'll, you'll love him. Okay. okay and, and, and nothing really against him. He doesn't say anything really bad. I mean, it's he's like Jordan Peterson without the religion. Okay. You know, like, you know, clean your room, that kind of stuff. Right. It's it's, 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 it's very basic stuff, but, but the the religion you needed to, you needed to go back and see it every time. I don't know if you finished that little, I mean, I know it was a long essay that I sent you the, 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 um, uh, Jesus Christ, the, the Schopenhauer one. Right. No, I didn't. Do you want to give me a little, it, it was, um, he was talking about truth and he was talking, he was like yeah, I, going, I going through, okay. yeah, yeah, no, it was long yeah. read. And I was, yeah, was, yeah. You know, but I mean, in, in, in at one point truth? he says, yeah, in it at one point, because he's discussing what it's, it's basically, he wrote a discussion between two people. One person was an atheist. One person was a theist, right? Mm-hmm, so it was mm-hmm. the, the, the benefits of religion and discovering the truth. And then he says, you know, truth is like water. It needs a vessel to be, to carry it. Mm. You need something for that truth. But I mean, then that vessel also has to be refilled because that truth is not, you can't keep that same truth because things will change, right? Mm. The, the, the earth is the center of the universe, the center of the universe. No, it's not. Mm. You know, the sun is the center of our solar system and it's, you know, like, like things like that. So the truth will change. So these stories carry things with us. So Mm. we shared these in common. And then, uh, you know, when you've left religion, you don't, and not that, you know, a lot of people who are religious, like I said, I never went to the mosque. I never had any of that, but you lose those stories. They lose some of their magic. And especially if you never understood Arabic and you read it in, in a language you understand for the first time and you're reading some of this stuff and it's all the death and everything it's calling for. Mm. It's like, okay, it's a little horrific. Um, so yes, you have to try to find something, but it's. It, so you do, sorry, I just want to highlight, you do think you need to find a replacement or you think we can find something else. Okay. I, I, well, I, anything's a replacement. Yeah, anything's a replacement, but it's it's not so much okay. Don't but like, go but looking... isn't it Nietzsche a Nietzschean sort of like God is dead and you've killed him? Like, it feels like there's no replacement. Okay, it it feels like there's no replacement because I think Avenger movies. Are, okay, yeah, okay, the, something like that. All right, now from the fifties up until cable TV, you know, let's just go that that far. You didn't. You had water cooler shows, so people would get up and stand around and talk about, you know, I Maybe love Lucy. Or, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like, you know, like all, all, 
yeah, all the way down to Cheers and Seinfeld and the last episode of MASH. You know, if if you remember, like, who shot JR, like, all that kind of crap, right? Like, people watch people watch the Super Bowl. People watch. And it's, it, okay, this is not Shakespeare. This is not the Bible. This is not the Epic of Gilgamesh. But it was a common story that we told ourselves, you know, and we, we talked about it. And it was something that we shared. Now it's like, you know, a stupid cat meme. Um, you know, it's... You know, Game of Thrones for the eight weeks that it's on or whatever. It was. And you can it did a... feel almost religious on Twitter, the way, uh, the okay. amount of spoilers. Yeah. But, but, but it's, but it's, but you know, but then that's another thing, Twitter. Standing around with your friends around a water cooler or a campfire or whatever, telling a story, mm. sharing something that it's very intimate and it's close. Doing it on Twitter is, uh, it's, it's sterile. It's cold. It's, mm. I mean, yes, you make friends, you can speak to people. But it's a distance. There's a distance. Yeah, yeah. And there's, you know, talking to someone, like even like this, you can talk to someone, you can look in their eyes, you can yeah. see their expression, you can see their reactions, yeah. but it's it's still not quite the same as talking face to face, right? Mm-hmm. So we've lost some of that. Now, uh, and I think that's why people are turning to a lot of different things. Um You'll have, uh, you know, the crystals, uh, even people who didn't believe, you know, they're going to like the law of attraction and the secrets or, or whatever. Yeah, was. yeah, yeah, that, that kind of stuff. Or people doing the, um, you know, the, the, the woke or the red pill. They're yeah, finding... the, the, they take politics and and I guess yeah. ideologies, uh, academic ideologies and whatnot. They take those as their, yeah, their it's, faiths. It's like, uh, okay. Um, so, like, uh, both of us uh, know uh, Jim Lindsay. Yeah. Have you read his book, uh, Everyone is Wrong About God? I haven't read his book, no. I should. Okay. I should uh, oh, yeah. I mean, okay. I should, it's one of his books, anyways. Yeah. Um, so, a little plug for Jim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I mean, he talks about meaning in that book as well. Yeah. And I think he's got it, you know, fairly correct. It's like, okay, I, I need a meaning in my life. Mm. I need to find my life's meaning. It's like, no. Your life is the meaning. Okay, don't go looking for something to give your life meaning. You know, if your life is raising a family, having a job, you know, taking care of your kids and your partner and, you know, your community, that's a life well lived. Um, Someone sitting there railing against the futility of religion for their whole life and doing nothing but that. Yeah. Even though I might agree with them, I think that's a life poorly lived. Okay, find some meaning in what you're doing. Um, yeah, but that's the goal. What that's the thing is that's what these meta narratives help us do is have goals. You know, the good. Like everyone can agree on not everyone, but even if you don't like saying like God, that I'm totally stealing like Jordan Peterson here. The mm-hmm. good. You know, going towards the good. That is uh, that's a goal we have. We need. We have our aim to go towards the good. Whatever the good is, it kind of sounds similar to what you're saying. Like, live a good life. Uh, okay, but it's. But we it's have to a, have something to go towards, though. But okay, you have to. You can have something to go towards, but I would prefer if. Okay, I I love science and reason and critical thinking. I think to understand our universe, understand our place in it. There, there are no better tools, but mm-hmm. that other thing, that 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 part of the humanities, the the, the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. Right. That. You're not going to replace with science and pure logic. And and that's where the stories come in. That's where if you can give the people the tools to find 
something, some commonality. And I, I mean, I, at this point, I think, and I know people are going to say this is this has been tried or whatever, but talk about shared values. That's that's one thing religion did do, right? They they gave you a moral code, or okay, mm-hmm. they gave you their moral code because mm-hmm. I find Abrahamic faiths will treat, teach you their values, their morals, what they say are moral. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it, like the values of the Enlightenment, you know, individual freedoms, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's all based on the rights of the individual, mm-hmm. and it, but so if you build a framework around that so like you have the right to free speech you have the so if you build a society with those with those values underpinning it and then you put in uh something like the scientific method where you test a hypothesis so if someone comes up and you know they want to pass a law and you look at that law compared to what you think your framework is and if it doesn't fit okay well no you don't pass that law right so if you can build something around those shared values and mm. make those values something that are shared, and then from that, you know, you can have your group of buddies that go fishing, golfing, you know, whatever. Like, you know, you have your book clubs, you have this, where you have that social contact where you can get together with groups of people who share similar interests in you, but you all you all know that you have that underpinning system of values. And I, I think that's more what we need to try to focus on and it's hard to find any- it's it's hard to find though because if you move to a new city if you if you go to a church if you go to a mosque or if you go to a temple or whatever you find one and you go there and they're like oh hi you're new hi nice to meet you and then it's in it could be a neighborhood it may be depending on how many how prevalent the places of worship are those so that that's the thing is unless maybe the like you said somehow it kind of gets not broadcast, but I guess encouraged to find groups, even like the like Facebook groups or whatever of like locals of, hey, I really like, hey, we like talking about the well, there's even, okay, I don't want to, okay, I need to, okay. This is not religious. I don't want to miss, okay, but there's like those Jordan Peterson little think tank groups coming up around cities you know i don't want to be like he's the new messiah here okay but people are getting together and chatting about things or like you know it could be the ancient wisdom of the stoics as well or whatever right no but that's fine i mean you can have a you know uh shakespeare appreciation group you can have something where you read the stoics you can have you know like you so you find a group of people are doing that you're interested in pottery you find a community college that has seek this out it doesn't seem like systematically like people aren't looking like there are clubs but it, there are a lot of lonely people okay to quote I, the beatles there are a lot of lonely people there's a lot of people yeah, who don't even know how yeah okay but that's um okay we're so connected but we're so split apart from everyone and i think part of that thing is Okay, so you can have a Facebook group for Jordan Peterson fans. How often do you get together with those people in your city? Now, you could be in the middle of nowhere and all those people, you know, there you got like 100 people in Toronto and, you know, 50 people in Montreal, and 50 people in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. You're in some small town in the interior of BC. Mm. You know, there's no one else. Now that connection on Facebook is not quite the same thing, or even doing like a Google Hangout or something is not quite. So that's the same kind thing. of what I'm. That's my concern. Yeah, is is what if 
yeah, they don't live close to other other oh, okay. this or that or the other. But okay, then it's what do you like? What what are your interests? What are you you know, if you give no, people I the... I have a faith, so I'm not the pro it's not me. Yeah, but but it's it's but I mean like that that's what I think is missing in a lot like a lot of these people like the street epistemology when they go down and they oh I spoke to someone on the street and I made them an atheist. Okay, great. You shattered their spell, now what? Well yeah, that's what a... I'm trying to that's what I now what? And now you said shares valid shared values. But like, how does that? It almost seems like there should be like atheist clubs. Uh, but okay, there there are organizations like okay, okay. there's and they should meet there. regularly. Okay, okay, I'm I'm a member of a group called Ex Muslims in North America. Okay. Now they ha they have twenty some odd cities across North America where they have chapters. Okay. And you know, once a month, some chapters do it more often. We have meetups where we get together, we'll sit around, we'll talk, um, you know. And then even aside from that, like some people might say, okay, you know, I'm going seeing this movie. Anyone want to come or I'm yeah, going doing okay. this. And so you have things like that, but there's no, okay. It's just a p bunch of, it's a group of people sitting around talking. Mm -hmm. The only thing they have in common is they no longer believe to me. Well, that's what not do they believe. Okay. So that, yeah. that's another thing is you can't like, you can't really found a community on the anti you yeah, okay. to, to, to the pro, because that's another thing about the, the uh, sorry, I'm going to bring this up, about the uh, intellectual dark web. They're anti-SJW, like they're anti-applied postmodernist. So like, what are they for? Well, I guess you could say free speech, but that's some, it seems yeah. like there's a, they're kind of having trouble keeping um, a coherent community, I guess. Well, I mean, the, the, the IDW just, I mean, like I said, with the religion, uh, you know, ex-Muslims, like, the only thing you have in common is that you're ex-Muslim. Yeah, it's a, yeah so that's the anti. That's the problem yeah, is it's yeah. not really so, foundational. So, I mean, but like if you go to a church, you know, you'll hear sermons every week. They'll reading from the Bible, mm -hmm. you know, what the mass is about and a, and a story and a lesson from the Bible. Mm -hmm. Now, there's nothing like that for atheists and I don't want Oh, what? You mean uh, the origin of the species? Is it your yeah, oh, okay. yeah, but, <laughs> the holy book? <laughs> but, that's what, but that's what I mean. Like you need to find... Um, you need to find something for yourself. So whether it's a book club or not, so you're meeting, you know, once a couple, uh, once a week to discuss a book you're reading, mm -hmm. you're all sharing that one thing, or you're meeting, you know, once a week to go fishing with your buddies, or you're meeting once a week, um, to, you know, to get together with a bunch of friends and you cook a, cook a meal together. And I agree, you, but how do you, Okay, you know, like when, you know, like the like enforced monogamy fiasco, like like it's not literally enforced, it's culturally enforced. Like people, it's marriage is, is sort of you, one man and one woman is sort of our cultural acceptance. So it's, it's enforced Im implicitly. So how do we enforce community? You can't enforce community. I know, um, that's what I'm Okay, but, but, but again, then... I want to get away from, like, any of that kind of stuff. Like, okay, take what a look. What am I at, missing? Am I am I missing? I, 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 so so am I. Um, oh, okay. I'm trying to, okay. I, I'm, I, like, I, I'm I, like, is it going over my? No, head? no, no. But like, I, I'm floundering around this too. But like, okay, so take a look at the Soviet Union, right? The state replaced. Yes, it did um, absolutely yeah. religion. So I don't want something where it's okay. It's like, oh, be a good citizen. Be oh, a good man. citizen. Be yeah, a good citizen. Okay, but uh, but yeah. but I mean. If the government talked about what the obligations of a citizen were, mm -hmm. as, a, as well as the rights, like you have rights as a citizen, 
and as a resident of that country, right? But you also have obligations. So just little things, right? Um, clean up your neighborhood a little bit. You're walking down the street, pick up some garbage if you see it. You know, uh, get involved in something, build a community garden. Mm. Uh, take pride in your little local neighborhood. I have you know, seen community gardens. That might be yeah. a little a, a step mm. in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, but just yeah, but like little things like that where it's not like you know in the fifth. I don't remember. I mean, you can find on YouTube like these little movies that show in the fifties, uh, you know, in between shows and stuff. Like yeah. this is how to be a good family, and this you know, oh yeah, oh, really? you know, yeah, oh yeah, oh, some of them are amazing. Like okay. uh, they're so cornball and everything. It's just yeah. like you know, father father comes home from work and mother has a drink ready for him and like all this ready crap. ripe to put in his hand. And the children yeah, are like, yeah, I washed my face, daddy. Yeah. Exactly, like all this shit. Like I don't want that. <laughs> yeah. But you know, but that was them trying. Okay, but they also yeah, that was them kind of trying culturally. There was also a lot of uh, religion, I'd say, still alive in the 50s, at least in oh, some yeah. parts of the country in the state. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, that was also, you know, okay, the, the McCarthyism happened a little bit later, but that yeah. was also a blowback to the godless communists, right? Oh, so right. you had to have... So it was kind yeah, of a bit of a, yeah. Yeah. So... Revival there, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you have you have it in the, the you know, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, like the family is very central and whatever. So you talk about family values and, you know, you had all this stuff come up. So there was, I mean, there was religious undertones to all that, but that, that's not what I want from the state. But at the same time, like, you know, we don't have civics classes anymore. No, right? I, I just literally tweeted this today. I don't know if you saw it. I said, what, or maybe it was yesterday. It was today. What is the role of a citizen? Yeah, and like, and no so, one answered. Uh, yeah. Okay. Then, I mean, there was uh look at our new guide. Okay. There was a draft, the new guide for new citizens, right? So they were going to be coming out with this and then it got kind of hushed up. Mm. One of the things was he took out the word, uh, Harper put in FGM is barbaric. Trudeau took out the word barbaric. Um, I mean, whatever, fine. That's semantics. I don't really, but if you looked at it, mm -hmm. you had a section with the obligations of a new citizen or the obligations of a citizen. Okay. And they said the voluntary obligations of a citizen were to respect the human rights of other citizens. That was one of them. That was voluntary. Okay. And and mandatory was voting and filling out the census form. I'm like, no, I'm sorry, but respecting the human rights of other citizens, as far as I'm concerned, should be mandatory. It that shouldn't should be, be voluntary. Yeah, that's a little, yeah, that's that's what I all I could really come up with is voting. And I suppose yeah. I guess I forgot about the census thing, but uh, that but, that's all it is for being a citizen. And no, that that's lacking, like like egregiously. But I mean, I, I think, okay, and again, this is not getting into communism or socialism or anything, but what they used to do in Europe, and I mean, up until the mid-70s in the States, mid to late 70s when they got rid of the draft and they had, um, uh, you had to register for service, right? Um, but, you know, like in places like Israel, places Europe, we had to go spend two years mm -hmm. in the military. Mm -hmm. If you didn't do it in the military, you did it in civics service. So you right. cleaned up the streets, you did whatever. So doing something like that, you know, you want to go into college, you want to go into university, you want to join the military, you want to do something fine, you're doing it. But if you want to take a couple of years off between high school and college, you're not quite sure, then fine, you work for the city, you clean up parks, you do whatever, like you do something to give you some sense of civic pride, right? Okay. Uh, and so things like that build a pride in yourself, give you some discipline, build a pride in your community. Mm -hmm. um, and and again, it's it's not to wipe out, you know, replace people's faith 
with something. I, and, and like, I don't want to look at it as replacing someone's faith with something because I, I well, think we that's could sort still of, do it. Like I, I like I am a Christian and I would yeah. not be against the sort yeah. of community cleanups or, you know, yeah. whatever yeah. community gardens but, or things like that. Yeah, but, but I mean, just, just little things where you get your community to get together. I mean, Okay, I live in a building with 32 apartments. Mm-hmm. I know one of well, okay, I know a couple of my neighbors, but I mean, I hardly ever lived here anyways. But I only really know one of my neighbors. Yeah. Even when I, you know, when my parents growing up, you know, when we were little kids, we knew all the kids in the neighborhood, but the yeah. adults didn't each other. Yeah, right. Yeah, oh, totally, a hundred percent. You know, so get to know your neighbors. I mean, I li- okay, I lived up north in a small community in northern Canada for four years. Yeah. If I went to the rest, like, okay, there was one restaurant in town. If I went to that restaurant and I saw the cars outside, I could tell you who was in there by the cars that were parked outside. Like, you knew your neighbors. You knew who they were. You knew what was going on. Um, You know, you're walking down the road. It's raining. You're carrying groceries. Someone's driving. They see you. They stop. They pick you. You know, and it's it's little things like that that, you know, you don't have the community. So, I mean, if you see it in rural areas. I mean, there are other issues. Um, I mean, there are plenty of issues up north in the with the Inuit communities, but in those rural communities, you have that sense of belonging. You have that sense of, you know, this these are my people. Mm. Whereas, I mean, in a large like, you know, and as far as cities go, Montreal, and I mean, I think you're in Calgary. We're we're, mm. we're not here. I think Montreal is the second largest, maybe or third yeah. now. We have yeah, but over still, a I mean, million in Calgary. Yeah, I think Montreal has roughly around three. Okay. So, but it's, you know, like, it's a lot of people and, you know, who do you really know? You know, like the guy in the corner store knows me, the guy, you know, the people at the local coffee shop I go to know me and the local bakery, they know me because I go there a lot. But my it's neighbors, you know, we don't my really... local so uh, My kids are friendlier to my neighbors than I am. Yeah. And I mean, so you need to start building little things like that. You don't need to... You know, and you have to have civic pride. You have to have some sort of national pride, but you don't need to take it to the level of nationalism. Um, right. There's a really good community, book. like literal where you live. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a really good book by um, David Deutsch, The Beginning of Infinity. Okay. And he talks about how we accumulated knowledge. Uh-huh. And in That's it, he good. talks about dy- dynamic and static thinking. Mm-hmm. And that change uh, even before that i was thinking about my worldview a little little along those lines it's either authoritarian or it's liberal right like forget left right forget conservative liberal right, right. Like, it's, liberal, the, liberal, it's the, so authoritarians up here and libertarians yeah, yeah. down here it's and down here and then like or, or again left right whatever forget all that crap right okay. it's either your 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 thought process is dogmatic or your thought or, or static or your thought process is dynamic and it, it can move, it can change. And liberal in the sense of, you know, uh, it, it's a small L liberal, not like big L yeah, liberal. Like, yeah. okay, but it's so, political, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're more open, you're more free now. So, and a few, a couple of years ago, I changed the way I thought, like, you know, I said, like, build your framework, you know, or people talk about, about foundation. I said, those first principles and the way you look at things. So how you build your society, how you build your social groups, how you build all that, if you think of it as a foundation, that's something very rigid and things have to be built up on top of it. If that foundation cracks, everything comes crumbling down. Mm-hmm. And that's where I would say is your dogmatic thinking, your static thinking. If you have a liberal viewpoint, mm-hmm. it's not a foundation, it's not even a framework. I, I think of it as a garden. So mm-hmm. the earth of the garden are your first principles, so your free speech, freedom of individuals, freedom of religion, you know, uh, your equal 
before the law. You're innocent until proven guilty. Like all these things that are the framework of you know, a liberal secular democracy. Think of that as a garden. Think of that as the earth. And then as laws start growing out of that, if it's a law that doesn't fit. So, mm. you know, if you have a liberal open society, but someone proposes a law that, you know, you're going to kill uh, one person at random every 15 minutes, that doesn't fit in with your framework, right? So that's, mm. that, that's coming up. That's a weed. You pull it out, you let it go. But you have to be very conscious that it's easy to lose. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it can be washed away, whatever. But if you tend it and you take care of it, it'll grow and it'll nurture your society. And that's the dynamic thinking. That's the liberal thinking. That's the open thinking. And I mean, I, I know you're a believer to some extent. and like I, But I put religious in that foundational thinking where it's a foundation. It's rigid. It doesn't mm. change. You know, it adapts very slowly. I mean, it took 500 years to apologize for Galileo, for Christ's sakes. You know, it's... No, it, yeah, and I... Yeah, and I... Well, I mean, I, I for me, like, I like I think I've mentioned to you before that how like, I do... I, I hate... How do I say it? I can't say I believe in evolution because everyone gets mad at me because yeah, it's not okay, something fine, you whatever. believe in. It's something yeah, that yeah, is. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I subscribe I, I, to the theory slash facts of evolution that was that was something that I changed in. I just, but I, I, like I, I see science like kind of similar to what you were saying. Science is is its its own thing, and then beliefs and values are it's like the is ought. Like I find them to be daughters. Okay, well that that's the Stephen Jay Gould thing, right? Like non overlapping magisteria. So you know that uh, okay, well, I, well, well, he he came up with that nomenclature so it's you know science is on its own, religion is on its own. They don't they don't overlap, but they do though. Religion does. It does, and that's perfect. that's. I do agree with regards to these stories, these mm-hmm. these early stories of Genesis, and and that's why I. It is funny that it was through watching the uh, biblical the the biblical lectures that uh, Jordan Peterson did that I mm-hmm. started believing in evolution from yeah. literally those well, lectures because he talks about the snake and what it means in all these different societies and how it was our well even but no before we were societies when it was like our major predator. And that's why it's so symbolic in our societies around yeah. the world. And, and yeah, but I mean, okay, I, I read Joseph Campbell, read the yeah, power. I, of I, I, I've read, I've read a little uh, bit of the hero's uh, journey. Yeah. Okay. I, I prefer Joseph Campbell. I mean, Jordan Peterson is a poor man's Joseph Campbell. I'm no, sorry. no, no. And that's why it was just easy to listen and to yeah. do housework and whatever. But no, I have read a little bit of Joseph Campbell. I think it's the hero's journey that I read a little bit of. But no, I yeah, love archetypes. Then, like I love, I love them. Uh, they're my yeah. favorite. Some of my favorite things to talk about. That's why I love the the Avengers and the yeah. hero movies. Yeah. Okay, but like for science, it's just, science is a methodology. Science is not, and I like you know a lot of people say that it's it's not a body of knowledge. It's not facts because those will change. Right? That's true. Yeah, yeah. they okay. are. Well, they're fluid, and that's why. Yeah. Okay. It's nice. So, so but science is a methodology, right? Okay. If you look at science as a methodology and you look at religion as a methodology, it might help getting people, okay, I don't need that methodology anymore. Science mm-hmm. is, okay, I come up with a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. I look for examples of it in nature or I test out my hypothesis and I test it out as many ways as possible. So if I'm saying I take hydrogen, you know, Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, mix it together, I get water. Mm-hmm. Now, you can put that together and say, I'm going to test it to make sure I don't get wine. I'm going to test it to make sure I don't get acid. Mm-hmm. And if you can rule out every other thing except for water, then you're 
pretty sure you've got water, right? right? And then you test it to make sure it is water, obviously. Mm -hmm. But so that's the methodology of science, you know, and then if it gets proven enough, it becomes a theory. And if that theory gets proven enough in every instance that you can find, it becomes a law. Right. So, you know, that's why a lot of people get confused when they hear the theory of evolution. They, they're confusing theory with hypothesis. And again, this is jargon oh, from science. Oh, I see. Okay, oh, they get upset hearing theory because they think it's it means I we, I, I don't. It means they, they think theory means an idea. Like, oh, it's theoretical. It's only an idea, right? No, oh. a theory a theory in science is a hypothesis that has been tested over and over and over again. It has been it has been tested to you know falsified against everything. It's proven true. Now, okay, uh, the theory of relativity or quantum theory, right? Mm -hmm. Both of these theories, independent of themselves, uh, I think quantum theory, it's the most accurate theory that they've had. I think just about every prediction it's made based on the math has, you know, been proven mm -hmm. that everything they can test up to this point. And same thing with the theory of relativity. But then they break apart at a singularity of a black hole, mm -hmm. right? They merge together and they both start acting really weird. So they don't apply in that thing. So they're not a law. Right. So you're looking so for a theory. It's like yeah. theory and, and quantum yeah. gravity. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. So, so you're, yeah, you're looking for something to unify the two. And if you can unify the two, then you will get another theory. And if that theory then proves, you know, valid in every other situation, in all situations, and it yeah. doesn't break apart, then that theory becomes a law. Like gravity is a law, right? right? It's a law of gravity. It's not the theory of gravity. Okay. So are we, I, I this is a tangent. So if we're talking about foundations that are, um, I guess that don't move versus more fluid sort of. Yeah, gardens. and that's just it. Science is a is a method, and the foundations of science and scientific the scientific method, and you know the method of liberal, secular liberal democracies and societies. That's got to be fluid. It's always got to be fluid. Right. A, a religious framework or a, you know a dogmatic framework like the woke or the red pilled or communism or fascism or mm -hmm. whatever, right? That is static. That is unchanging. Right. Mm -hmm. Or if it changes, it changes by building something on top of it, but building off that foundation. Mm -hmm. If that foundation falls, you know, that whole thing is gone. Like, whereas if you have that fluid thing, you can have a section of it that's starting to get eroded, but you can fix that. You're not going to lose the whole thing. I, if you start okay. To I, I think that people need foundations that are not fluid. Because, do you say that, say... We'll just say, now you you might you said you if if evidence for God is pre presents itself, hmm, consider it right. You said that I I know there's a lot of people if there was like evidence like God spoke and we all heard, everyone heard literally the literal voice of God. I don't think everyone would be like oh. There's a God. Cool. Like how many people who are like a staunch hardcore and atheist, like, I don't think Dawkins would be like, I was wrong. Like they're, okay. they have their own foundations. I'm trying to say science, it's a bit more concrete in some. Okay. No, but, okay. But some people do get dogmatic about it. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. We are humans. We, okay. We're all humans. We're all gonna have our own biases and, you know, uh, preconditions, everything. We're all going to have that. Yeah. And so, and I'm dogmatic about certain things and I go, I put my heels in. Um, but if you can recognize that and if you can at least accept that you need that 
fluidity and it's not like fluidity like a river like i said it's it's okay. it's a garden like so like the earth of a garden it is firm like you can hold the roots of a plant you can you know you can it's not like it falls apart it's not like it continuously moves but you it can, does like, get out the weeds you know, yeah yeah but you yeah you can you can adjust it oh you need more nutrients uh okay we add more nutrients or whatever okay let's just take free speech as an example mm-hmm. i think free speech is the absolute first thing you need right mm-hmm. and i'm as about as absolute as you can get on that now um milton uh, wrote Areopagitica, which was a defense of free speech and open publication with the advent of the printing press. And it was a speech he gave before Parliament in England. Uh, now, there's a lot of people coming out now, okay, what do we do with the internet? Mm. Um, my assertion is the arguments that Milton made for the printing press are still valid for the internet. Okay. Now, there's where the fluidity comes in. Do we need to get an Areopagitica 2.0, mm. something that will preserve the rights of free expression, but then protect you from bad information, mm-hmm. right? That, that was one of the things, like, oh, all these books are going to get out, people are going to hear things, and, you know, how do we know that they're, gonna, they're not really garbage? Yeah, 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 all that stuff. So maybe, okay, do we need to have that conversation? And yeah, and, and anything should be up for debate. Anything should be open to be reinterpreted. Mm-hmm. So. That's where the fluidity comes in. But whereas, you know, Christ was resurrected, he, Christ died for your sins, he was resurrected, and three days later he ascended to heaven. No. Now, that's okay, not you, can't, you, can't, you can't change that. No, no, right? no, but, yeah. no, sorry. It's just okay. three days later he rose, and then 40 days later he went into heaven. But anyway. okay, 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 fine, whatever, sorry. Yeah, so that's I just, that's, I just, I can't not say uh, Okay, that. no, no, that's no, fine. Yeah. Okay, I, I, got, I got it wrong. Um, <laughs> okay. but, but, I mean, you, you can't, you can't build Christianity without that. Right. You know, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay, okay. Oh, so you but, you are you have like that's why most people I know are like, oh yeah, Jordan Peterson's not a Christian though. Yeah, most okay, people so, in like my churchy yeah. circle are like, oh, he's not because he's not. He says he lives as if as if it's true, not that it yeah, is. It, okay, right? Yeah, but the, so there you go. I mean, so that's whereas even someone who's a free speech absolutist will at least allow the debate on the free speech. Right. To then say, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Right. See that 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 fluid side is always it's maybe okay, I'm wrong. Okay, I have okay. I have said that. I've I've said because I can't prove it. I can't prove God. I can't prove the resurrection. I can't prove it. So if I die and go into nothingness, what's wrong? I I give room to be like, maybe I'm wrong because I can't, it would be science if I could say, no, I'm right. And here's proof. That's why it's called faith. Yeah. But okay. You say maybe you're wrong, but what I'm saying is. I don't think I'm wrong though. uh, Okay. Yeah. Everyone's like, okay, I don't think I'm wrong. Maybe I am wrong. Maybe, uh, unless you get to like higher science. Well, some people say that they're not wrong about. Yeah. Okay. uh, Yeah. I am definitely not the norm, man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but what I'm saying is you now you have that firm belief that Jesus died for your sins yeah. and was resurrected, right? Yeah. Now you can say yes, I might be wrong about that, but you act as if it's completely true in the sense yeah. that Peterson says that, right? So yeah. now that is an unshakable belief for you until you get some you know, astronomical proof or something like that, right? right? Some sort of proof. But, you know, ask 
any scientist um, or a student of science or whatever, they might, okay, they might say, okay, you know, we know what gravity is or, you know, gravity moves at nine meters per second per second on Earth. Mm-hmm. Now, even with that, they will tell you that if, okay, we get more precise instrumentation, we get more precise this, you know, more precise measuring tools, we might find that we're wrong and it moves at something else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're always willing to accept the new evidence. If, uh, always. Not not all scientists, not no, for okay, all no, tests, no. though. Not not all scientists, no, you know, not there. There is in not theory, all. In theory, they're supposed yeah. to uh, to to take in new evidence. Like yeah, I, yeah. I understand and, the theory. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do, and that's what I'm saying. If you think of it as a, don't look at individual people and don't look at how dogmatic they are mm-hmm. on certain things, right? Um, and sometimes saying you know dogmatic about science is is the wrong way to go about it. But if you're so wedded to your theory and you're so wedded to your facts that you won't look at anything else and that's becoming a dogma mm. so just stay away from that kind of thinking and that's what I think you need to that's the kind of stuff that you need to give to people so that if they are going looking for something else if they say okay you know this was a, this was the type of thinking that leads to a dogma and anything that gives you that be very careful of it mm-hmm. because if you're going from one to another, right? If you're going from one dogmatic way of thinking to another dogmatic way of thinking, you're not benefiting yourself. All you're doing is you're changing, you know, what you think about. You're changing what your structure is and you're changing then what you hate. Because if you have a dogma, you have something that you despise and something that you hate. Right. And you're changing that every single time. Right. My only opponent at any given time is someone that does not want to allow the freedom to investigate things. There might be things that you don't need to investigate. Uh, There might be things that I think are useless to investigate. But if someone wants to spend their time investigating it and they're doing it purely for research, I mean, if if someone's doing it for something malicious, like, yeah, I'm going to see how, you know, we can get antibodies for this virus because I want to make a deadlier version of this virus to kill everyone. Yeah, that's, you know, their intentions have some issue there. But if someone wants to study how to get a, uh, you know, a vaccine for a certain virus, they have to study that virus. So you can't say you can't study that virus because someone might take that and then, you know, use that for for ill. Right? Yeah. So, so it's the, I see the values thing that you're talking, you were talking about earlier. It's, like, it's like sort of uniting around values. And for you, you're saying sort of like the the freedom of freedom of speech, freedom to investigate. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's just that like the, the freedom to have open discourse, the give the individual the rights, you know, your rights stop where my face begins, right? Like, you know, you, you can't punch me in the face, right? right? Like it's that. So as long as you're not infringing on my rights mm-hmm. and you're doing what you want to do and you're, you know, like I said, it's, it's an open and free discourse and you mm-hmm. have to, you know, you have to take on all comers, right? right? If you come up with some new, okay, I found a new way so we can study the age of the universe and everything we've done to this point is wrong. You have to stand up to everyone who's going to test you. Right. And if you're not willing to do that, right, you're not willing to give your hypothesis the rigor it needs. And okay. you have to be in a system that that'll allow that. That's all. It's- uh, so that will allow that. Okay. I see what you're saying. Okay. Okay. I think I think this is I think I think we've covered a lot. 
<laughs> so I think this is a good place to 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 end for now. So is there any sort of closing closing anything that you wanted wanted to okay, finish? Okay, uh, I'm just gonna touch on one thing because you'd mentioned symbols. Right. Oh right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So okay. okay. No, but I, 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 I. Why are they the important? Just... just give give me a little okay, why. Why is why we, why do we want to be able to keep this this one? Okay, uh, it's not that we want to be able to keep that, right? You don't. It, it, I don't really give a rat's ass about this particular symbol. Okay. Okay, but a bunch of assholes on 4chan said this is a white supremacist symbol as a joke. As a joke, people took them seriously. They yeah. spread it out, and then don't use this because you're a white supremacist now. No, why are you giving up that symbol so easily, right? Um, okay. These people freaking out about the people burning the, the U.S. flag. Right. And I'll, I'll bring this back to something else and just, just to close it off. But now the U.S. flag represents your country. Now, I, I personally, okay, you have the right to do it. Mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a, I, I, I want to know what you're protesting. If you're protesting that you think America should burn to the ground and you hate everything it represents and burn it to the ground, yeah, fine, go ahead, burn the flag. I disagree with you, but whatever, go ahead, burn the flag. I'm not even American, and I disagree mm -hmm. with that. But if you're saying, you know what, America's lost its way, and it's not the America that I wanted, and like you know, the, the the ideals of the founders is not what this America is, and I'm burning the flag in protest to what America has become. I think again, that's a wrong-headed protest mm. because okay, the ideas of a country are its constitution, its its founding documents, right? So, the, and the founding documents of the United States, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, those are incredible documents. That they're 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 like I think they're beautiful mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now. Okay, and they're, they're, they're wonderful ideas. The flag is a symbol of those ideas. And if that's the ideals you want, why let the people you think are racist, um, you know, Nazis or whatever, whatever you think they are, like the, the, the people you think are destroying your country, mm -hmm. why are you letting them take that symbol from you? Stand right. up for what you think that symbol represents. Oh, Don't just give okay. it up. Okay. Okay. I, I, think we've, I think we've become so, we're just like, we're so willing to just give up that symbol. Oh well, you know what? Uh, like there was one a little, uh, yeah. There was a, a a month or so ago. They said, oh, there are a bunch of white supremacists are going to put the thumbs up sign in their in their um, Twitter handle. So don't use thumbs up. It's like, okay, you heard about it once, and then you're saying that like you're oh. you're, you're giving up you're giving up that easy. Yeah. Like you're giving up that symbol. Like I mean, it's a thumbs up sign. It means nothing. Like you know. It you means know, like, good job. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, for, for me, because I, child of the 70s, it reminds me of fucking happy days in Fonzie. Like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, but, but, that, but that's just it. Like, why do you want to give up, like, especially something like the flag? I, it's within your right to burn it. Go ahead and burn it. But why are you why are burning we giving it? it up? And if you're burning it because you think that it's being taken away from you, why do you not want to fight for it? If you think it's that important, don't lose that symbol. Mm -hmm. And I, you, Again, like just like you need a narrative and you need a story, symbols are important. Mm -hmm. You know, like a symbol, like uh, there's a symbol in Haiti, which um, is kind of like ironic. But right after they they won their freedom from from slavery, it's a symbol of a guy with broken chains taking a conch and blowing on the conch and letting everyone, like, letting all the slaves know that they're free now, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, but why do you want you know like if if someone wanted to co-opt that symbol for something else, like why do you want to let them? Mm. You know, like we've lost so many things. Right for your Why symbolism, wanna... yeah, for the things that yeah, have no, meaning. But, okay, but if that thing symbolizes something for you, that's something good that you think, mm. and you think someone's turning that symbol to a bad end, fight them. Dude, what about what about the it. Confederate flag though? Because there's a lot of people who love that flag and are like, "That's my symbol. I'm gonna fight okay. for it." 
and there are fight, they are fighting uh, for it. Yeah, okay, they they are fighting for it, but you can fight back and say, okay, what does it symbolize to you, right? And um, and uh, a friend of that, mine that not, is no more. Yeah, but okay, but it was also okay. You oh, it's for states' rights. Okay, yeah, fine, it's for states' rights. But what 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 rights do the states want that join the Confederacy? They wanted the right to slavery, right? right. Okay, so you can kind of trace it back to like yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, so what does that flag represent? Here's what it symbolizes. What does it symbolize for you? But then you got to know that it's got all these other things for other people. Now, okay, they're fighting for their symbol, okay? You might not agree with their symbol. You might not agree with their fight. But why, okay, why then, if you're saying that America, okay, the, this, this flag, you know, it's being taken over by, you know, these racists who love the Confederate flag, why are you giving it up to them, right? Like, I'm just saying, like, if, if that's what your argument is, mm. why are you letting them? You know, they're not letting you take away their symbol because they want it, right? For whatever reason, if you think they're misguided, you they know, find I, a I think they symbol? are. Yeah, but but why? Okay, but like if you think the flag is losing its meaning because people are taking away from what America used to be, right. why not fight for what you think America used to be, and why not fight for what saying? Okay, no, this flag represents this, and that's what I want this flag to represent. And I think more, if, I don't know how you know, to answer that. And, 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 and that's my thing with symbols. Like we're losing narratives. We're losing symbols. We're losing a lot of these little things that give us a social cohesion. Like mm -hmm. get, okay. You know, you'd mentioned it earlier, get politics out of everything. Right. You know, politics, leave politics and politics. Uh, yeah. You know, a friend of mine from Twitter just said, Let, let's make politics boring again. Yeah. And it's just, you know, but that's just it. Like I don't need, you know, I don't, and then it's, you're going to sound callous, like I don't care about the Kaepernick thing. Like, right. You know, I I understand that he's bringing attention to a, a cause or whatever. But, I mean, you know, leave certain things so we have certain things that we can bond around irregard, you know, irregard, regardless of anything else, regardless of any other any other nonsense. Like, it, it brings – it brings the symbols bring us together. They make us yeah. feel like a community. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and and, and we much. need that. We need that as humans. That's yeah, that's, about it. that's it. Okay, I think that yeah. that's a good that's a good space. Okay, thank you, Obeid, for chatting with me. I'm glad we uh, could end off with uh, 